Hello, Marvelites! You are listening to This Week in Marvel, episode number 392. I'm Ryan, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm Lorraine, a.k.a. Agent L. <laughs> I'm not a good agent, though, because it's the first initial <laughs> of my first name. Oh, you're dead. Oh, boy. If you're just joining us, This Week in Marvel is a show for all kinds of fun stuff about Marvel. We're going to talk about some stuff that we're excited about, news and whatnot this week. We have interviews and we have some stuff that we're going to talk about. It's going to be fun. Welcome aboard. Hey, thanks. Also, can I tell you my favorite thing about your notes for this hot, hot, hot news? Yeah, hit me. Is that I also wrote a piece about this and entitled it Hot, Hot, Hot. No. I swear to God. That's amazing. <laughs> uh, but it is some hot news. Yeah. Can we get into it? Let's do it. All right. The Spirits of Vengeance are coming. With live action Ghost Rider and Hellstrom TV series heading to Hulu in 2020. I will read from the official story on Marvel.com, but this is... Amazing because we just announced two brand new TV shows. And I was very excited because we've been hearing about the Hulu animated series that are coming out. But this is live action, baby, real life human beings. Yeah. And uh, the first one is Marvel's Ghost Rider, which centers on Robbie Reyes, played by, of course, Gabriel Luna and the quintessential antihero who lives on the Texas-Mexico border, consumed by hellfire and supernaturally bound to a demon. Whoa. <laughs> when he unleashes the rider, Robbie brings vengeance for the innocence he encounters, but struggles controlling the power he wields. Marvel's Ghost Rider is executive produced by Ingrid Ascajeda, who will serve as showrunner, which is really cool. We're going to get into her credits in a bit. Paul Zabzuski and Marvel Television's Jeff Loeb. And let's not forget about Marvel's Hellstrom. And that's two Hellstroms for the price of one. You're going to say Hellstorm? No, I was not. I was going to oh. say, I wish we were rolling video right now because you started doing this dance with your hands. You just got into it. I am a hand talker. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think it brings more to the podcast listener. So just imagine that every time I speak, I am dancing like one of those blow up things in front of a car dealership. Floppy, inflatable, inflatables? It me. Yep. So next up, we are getting two Hellstroms. And I'm very excited about this on Marvel's Hellstrom. Damien and Anna Hellstrom are the son and daughter of a mysterious and powerful serial killer in Marvel's Hellstrom. The siblings have a complicated dynamic as they track down the worst of humanity, each with their attitude and skills. Marvel's Hellstrom is executive produced by Paul Zabzuski, who will serve as showrunner and Marvel Television's Jeff Loeb. We're going to get into those credits uh, for those names in a second, but I got to say, if Hellstrom is not shirtless 90% of the time in the show, I don't know what I'm going to do. If you look at any comic with Damon Hellstrom, He's almost always half naked. Yeah, he's like a human convertible because he's always got the top down. Oh, I'll be here all this week. So Paul Zabzuski has been executive producer and writer on Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., mm-hmm. Hawaii Five-0, Lost, Daybreak, and more. He's been on S.H.I.E.L.D. for like five years? Yeah, for a really long time. Yeah, so it's really cool. And so, and he's gotten to work with Gabriel Luna before, so that'll be awesome to see in this. Totally. And then we also have Ingrid Escajeda, who has been executive producer and writer on Sneaky Pete, APB, Empire, Justified, and more. And so I wrote, when I was going through her credits, I freaked out because she was a staff writer on Better Off Ted. Have you ever seen that show? No. Better Off Ted, short-lived, I think it only did two seasons, it was on ABC. It was weird as hell. 
It was fantastic. It was really, really funny. Uh, you can binge it on probably on Hulu, maybe somewhere else. It is terrific. Well, that sounds perfect because if you're in a ghostwriter world, you know that there's going to be some cray-cray stuff going down. Yeah. Like, I'm very excited for all Like this. Fireface. Is that a guy? No, Fireface is just what Ghostwriter has. <laughs> His face is covered in flames. I was like, is there – did we just give up at one point and be like, uh, Fireface. If they don't call this guy old Fireface, <laughs> I'm out of here. <laughs> uh, so very excited for all this. And, um, yeah, more news to come. I'm sure we'll be doing stuff with cast and crew over the next you know, year and change between yeah. This Week of Marvel and Nurse Mighty Show. So look forward to that. And it's all coming in 2020, which is also – my preferred vision. <laughs> Anyways, Avengers Mania is running wild. Wild, brother. Avengers right. Mania is running wild, brother. Oh, boy. You got to say it like that. I, I did. <laughs> that <laughs> that was, was my version that was of how it. how you did it? Okay. Also, congrats to Marvel Studios and the whole team for having the mightiest, truly Earth's mightiest opening. I mean, it's the biggest opening in theatrical history, clocking $356 million in domestic box office and a worldwide total of more than 1.2 billion by Monday morning. I heard that theaters had to actually extend their hours and they were doing like midnight screenings. A lot of sites were saying that, oh, they probably can't break 300 million because there literally aren't hours in the day that theaters are open in which for people to watch it, but the theaters stayed open. So it broke even that record. Yeah. Our boss, John Cirilli, he said he got a photo from his brother from 3 a.m. with the parking lot full at their local theater on Thursday going into Friday because they were just every screen, every possible, they were going from one showing to another and people were just there. It was wild. That's bananagrams. It's great. People love them some endgame. Feels. No no spoilers, just feels. Yep. Uh, so the topest news is out of the way, but this episode we also have some dope guests on the show. Uh, we've got Veep showrunner David Mandel and Veep star Sam Richardson. What are you doing with your hands? What is that is that a Veep dance? You're I like... was kind of just dancing. I was jamming out to your words. It's great. Uh, the interviews with them will be later in the show, but since this episode comes out near May the 4th, Lorraine and I thought we'd do our big talk this episode about some of our favorite Star Wars comics, thoughts about Star Wars comics, and we have a special guest for that one. But for now, things we're hyped about this week, comma, including news. Yeah, and you know what May the 4th is besides Star Wars Day? The day before my wife's birthday. Yes, but do you know what else it is? The 4th in May. Uh, Okay, we're getting into semantic just... (laughs) pigeonhole or something some kind of hole but it's also free comic book day I like how you come on this show and you just fall apart in the best possible way i just break you it's great <laughs> um well because i feel like i got it together and then ryan panagos is like i have a bunch of wrenches to throw in here <laughs> and see if you can dodge well, you're the only person i could do this with yeah. and make it work yeah yeah that's our gift But I am very excited for Saturday, which is free comic book day. Get your free comic books wherever you can find them at a participating comic shop near you. Free comic books here. Free comic. Get your free comic books. Comic books. Yeah. For free comic book day, two great issues. Have you read them yet? I have not read them yet, but I I do know the spoiler. Right. Well, there's tons of stuff. I read both of the issues because we record Marvel's Apollos like 12 weeks in advance. So I have to read everything super early. They're terrific. 
We are going to talk about some great comic book shops later in the show. Hopefully, you got to visit your favorite one for free comic book day. Uh, we also have something that uh, is very cool we got excited about, which is Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Season 6. We got a bunch of updates this week. The premiere episode, which will air in about a week, yeah, May 10th. May 10th. Mm-hmm. Yep. That is directed by Clark Gregg. Uh, new cast members were announced this week, but that is coming in the future what we have to talk about now is this week in Marvel history. The first line in here. Who put that in here? <laughs> Me. What is this line on the document? It says butts, butts, butts. And then who wrote nice? Triple P wrote nice after that. <laughs> That's what the show is now. It is good. It is very good. Uh, so we are talking about Marvel history for the week of May 3rd through May 9th across our 80 years. This is going to be a big one for film debuts, mostly towards the end of the section. But we're going to start off with May 9th, 1963, with Strange Tales issue number 111, introducing one of Doctor Strange's greatest enemies, Baron Mordo. Like, you know, 63 he shows up. I know, with mean old facial hair. (laughs) Next up, we have May 5th of 1964. The Masters of Evil, talk about bad dudes, made their debut in Avengers number 6 by Stan Lee and Jack Kirby. The Masters were Baron Zemo, Radioactive Man, The Melter, and Black Knight. Spoiler, the Avengers win, and the last panel has Thor sitting atop the knight's winged horse, which is fun. Yeah, I think there's a line. Someone's like, hey, Thor, you look good on that horse. You're going to keep it? He's like, no, I don't own this horse. That would be a crime. It's it's like super (laughs) weird because it it was probably done Marvel style. So Jack probably had one idea for how what he was thinking about that. And Stan had to dialogue it. I love it. I love (laughs) it. He's like, how do I explain this away? (laughs) Yeah, because it's literally Thor sitting on on a winged horse with a bunch of other Avengers around. It's so good. Well, and I'm sure he's like, we're not drawing this horse for the next six years, so <laughs> yeah. get this sucker out of here. Nope. We don't have time for this Pegasus. Yep. Uh, next year, May 4th, 1965, huge week. Have to include this because Strange Tales 135 gives us the first appearance of S.H.I.E.L.D., HYDRA, Life Model Decoys, Flying Cars, and the Helicarrier in the first Super Spy Nick Fury story by Stan Lee and Jack Kirby. It's a game changer, and it is Incredible. It's a great issue. It's such good world building. Honestly, it's mind-blowing. And two, it's mind-blowing for Nick Fury, who's going through all of it, too, because he's just like, what do you mean? Like, oh, oh, I'm like, now I'm doing this and we're doing this and I'm in a flying car. Like, what the heck? Yeah, because he'd just been a soldier before that. Now he's being introduced to this larger world. It is amazing. It's It's so good. Yeah. Same week, over in Journey into Mystery number 118, the Destroyer is introduced. Another Stanley Jack Kirby joint, and the Destroyer, easily one of the coolest designs in comics. Yeah, he looks like a mean old honeycomb. <laughs> what I think is most is most telling about the design, it is almost unchanged in the 50 years it's been around. It really has like a good Kirby feel to it. It reminds me of an old Kirby monster. Yeah. All right, let's talk about May 9th of 1967. Also a very exciting week. Amazing Spider-Man number 51 marks the first appearance of Joe Robertson, one of Peter Parker's mentors and his biggest champions in journalism. And then Fantastic Four 65, another Stan Lee and Jack Kirby classic, which gives us the Cree, Ronan the Accuser, and the Supreme Intelligence. Good time for Cree peeps. Yeah, I love Cree peeps. Creeps. It's only, you know, the Cree peeps only come around during Easter time, but you just got to gobble them up. But you know what? Uh, <laughs> but, but you know what I like about um, the Cree people? Even when they feel blue, they'll still hang out. And my, <laughs> that was not my, a good one. My joke was that. 
shoot ahead to May 8th, 1984. Forge makes his first appearance in Uncanny X-Men number 184. I love Forge's mutant powers, particularly why I wanted to bring this one up, because he has the mutant power to build anything. If he can, like, think of it, it may take him a long time, but he can build anything. It is the most, like, weird, too much mutant power. Do you uh, think if he goes to Ikea that he needs the Allen wrench or he's just like fine? You got to have that Allen wrench. You lose that. You're done. You're done. You're done. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Mm. I don't know. Mm. Let's put it to Forge. Let's talk about May 3rd of 2002. The first Spider-Man film hit theaters. Thwip. We did it. Yeah. Great. It's, it's incredible. And then jump ahead to May 4th, 2007. Spider-Man 3 lands in theaters. Uh, a lot of folks have a lot of opinions on this one, but I find a lot of it is like you can find nuggets to really enjoy in there. I love the campiness of it and like the weirdness. You know what? I'm here for the gifts. Yes. Those are some good gifts. Yeah. Uh, what's his name? Eating the pie? Oh, my God. I just love the dancing one. This dancing, the pie. There's so so many good things. Um, but let's talk about this because a whole lot of Marvel Studios films have made their debuts during May, first of which was Marvel Studios' Iron Man 2, which arrived in theaters on May 7th of 2010. And you love Justin Hammer. I love self-tanner. <laughs> so good. It's so funny. Like, I I could watch his scenes over and over and over again. I literally, that that was like just my favorite detail of just like, I'm going to have some self-tanner on my palms. And like, because that's who I am fundamentally as a character. <laughs> Oh, and on May 4th of 2012, Marvel's The Avengers arrived in theaters. I, Sorry, I wrote these notes in no, here. Oh, it's great. Yeah, I, I remember sitting in a pre-release screening next to C.B. Cebulski a few weeks before it came out. Uh, I was a little nervous, honestly. Marvel Studios movies, they've been great, of course, but this was like, this was the big one. Could yeah. they do it? We were all like, we'll see. And as soon as the credits rolled, I think I slapped C.B. like on the arm or on the shoulder, just like involuntarily hit him like, oh my gosh, they did it. It was just like relief and excitement, totally floored. I That was the first film I saw working for Marvel. And I just remember the film going and then seeing the end credit scene and then just kind of sitting there for a while. And I was sitting with the video team and they were like, what did you think? And I was like, ah, <laughs> and then proceeded to be my favorite movie to watch while being sick for the next Aww. However many years it's been. For me, it's the Transformers and G.I. Joe animated movies of the 80s. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. How about we talk about May 3rd of 2013 because Marvel Studios' Iron Man 3 released in theaters. What's your favorite moment? Um, House Party Protocol. How, oh, that, the, that, oh that's suits. a good one. So much fun. That's a good one. Yeah. Yeah, all of the suits. Also, all the suits in the sky. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, May 6, 2016, Marvel Studios' Captain America Civil War releases in theaters. Just, I, I rewatched it right before we did the the premiere oh, recently. Me too, yeah, it's so good, so good, so many feels, so many people, and I just love Ant Man being like, "Hey, Cap, <laughs> be my friend, please," because it me. Yes. Oh, and May fifth of twenty seventeen, Marvel Studios Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two rocked it out in theaters. We got a little baby Groot. We got a bunch of space butts. All the space I, butts you could ask for. I couldn't call him the real word. <laughs> uh, that's the history. We also have to talk about this current week. Top books from this week's episode of Marvel's The Pull List are 
Marvel Team Up number two, Meet the Scrolls number four, Savage Avengers number one, and War of the Realms number three. Man, I love War of the Realms so much. Oh man, it's many war, very realms. Yes. But I don't want you to forget, you guys better subscribe to Marvel's pull list wherever you listen to podcasts and then watch the video versions on Marvel.com. You're welcome. Thanks. Before we go to a galaxy so far away and so close to now, is that how the Star Wars happened? Yes. That's exactly verbatim, exactly what reads on the screen and no other words. I I knew it. My memory is like (laughs) a drain. And uh, we have to talk about Marvel's Cloak and Dagger. Yeah! Freeform's original series Marvel's Cloak and Dagger is back. Are you watching it? What are you doing with your life? It is awesome honestly it is a freeform original series and it is back and in season one we met ty and tandy as they discovered their new superpowers ty aka a dude with a cloak can control the realm of darkness and tandy a lady with light daggers can shoot daggers of light with her hands yeah you you're seeing where they're getting their names right it's it's right there gives you everything you need to know yeah and in this new season there are bigger issues on the horizon they are going to really need to step up and embrace their powers and figure it out real fast because whether they like it or not mayhem is coming tune in to watch season two of marvel's cloak and dagger thursdays on freeform lorraine give me one tidbit from the marvel after show that comes out after every episode of the show Well, we actually talked very recently with the VFX supervisor, and he told us all about how he makes Tandy's lights. And so what you might not know is when she is holding daggers, they actually make little LED daggers that she holds in her hand so that you get that glow around it. And then they digitally remove it all. It's super duper interesting. Yeah. Plus, we talk with the cast all the time. It's it's good times. You can subscribe to that wherever you are listening to this. Yeah, exactly. All right, now going back to the galaxy so close at hand and yet so long ago. Exactly right. Yep, I did it. Crushed it. I know my Star Wars canon, but you know who else knows Star Wars canon? Who? Tucker Marcus. Hey. Tucker, you have uh, been branded as the Star Wars expert in the office. How does that feel? Um, It feels great. I don't know. Like, I feel like there's a lot of pressure with with such a title, but I maybe um, like number one Star Wars lover. I will say one thing about all three of us that makes us very blessed is that we've all met Chewbacca. It remains like one of the best days of my life. Nice. So awesome. Uh, if, if you don't know who Tucker is, Tucker is my co-host on Marvel's The Pullist. He is also one of the editors for Marvel.com. And I, I think part of our conversation here is honoring the memory of Peter Mayhew, who passed this week, uh, the original actor who portrayed Chewbacca. Yeah, it's um, it's it's a huge loss for the Star Wars family, um, you know, for pop culture kind of as a whole, given the enormity of, of that character, the life that Peter Mayhew b- brought to it. And it. It's really amazing. I think specifically as the, the kind of sequel trilogy has emerged, as Chewbacca has kind of come back to the fore and been on the big screen again, we've been hearing so much about like Chewbacca's eyes and like the life in there and the way he moves and you know, for uh, an actor to imbue a character like underneath, like a, just a ton of yak hair, mm-hmm. you know, with such life, with such love, is is really something incredible. And I think his contribution to the fandom was so awesome. You know, he did so many conventions and met so many people. As people have been sharing their memories of him, they've all been so lovely. And he took so many photos with people and was just such a, a kind-hearted seeming person. So it's definitely a loss for for the universe. But, you know, 
He's with the Force. So we're talking about Star Wars because May the 4th. Like, when did that start being a thing? That's that a good question. A Wasn't That's it a really like a celebration question. thing? Oh, I thought you were the expert. I, I feel like it was. I, I think my yeah, my mind went to the same place, Lorraine. Yeah. Because, I, I, you know, Celebration has for 20 years now been always, you know, around this this time of the year. So, um, and, you know, May is a special month otherwise for Star Wars. May 25th, 1977 is the release date of the uh, of the first movie. And then many movies after that were always out in May. So, so yeah, but yeah, I think May the 4th specifically, I think started probably around Celebration 99. One of the other podcasts I listened to, 302010, they said 20 years ago, about this week, the Duel of the Fates music video was released ahead of right. the, the film, episode one, which was the first look of so much of the first time people were seeing the film and it, like clips from the film. It was, you know, just a, a big moment in and of itself. Yeah, that that is a really cool thing. It's it's so fun to go back. I mean, this year's celebration, which I didn't make it to, but watched all of uh, the live stream. They were celebrating the 20th anniversary of The Phantom Menace. It was really cool. And, Ooh, uh, that hurts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I... I remember that. I want to ask you both about your about your memories of it. Oh, um, but did but, you wait in the line? Because I, I waited in the line. How many times did you see it in theaters? Oh, I don't remember. I think six. Whoa! I think I saw it maybe two or three. I think three. Oh yeah, I wore a full Leia costume. Nice. <laughs> it That's was. awesome. I had also a little brown wig with like the little sad buns that kind of didn't stay on my head. <laughs> I think I was definitely like too big for the costume. <laughs> <laughs> I remember seeing I think I saw it in like a double feature or something. And I also saw Tarzan. The Phil Collins is oh Tarzan. Oh my god, amazing! Movie. <laughs> Phil Collins was Tarzan. Um, no, he did. might as well have been. Yes, you know. Yes. No. <laughs> uh, but uh, uh, anyway, yeah. So it was. It's been really cool to see the 20th anniversary Phantom Menace stuff come out, and um, how the Phantom Menace has kind of been reframed and, and embraced in a new way, and with the, a, a newer generation of Star Wars fans. It's really cool. Yeah, Lorraine, you guys have a reading list on Earth's Mighty Show. We do. On May the 4th, we have a reading list coming out that's going to highlight some of our, our favorites. And you helped put that together, Tucker? Yeah, yeah. I, that's, I was, that's a fact. I was, um, yeah, I was really excited to pick out some of my favorite ones ever. I mean, from like the original, um, you know, 1977 series, which is, you know, just a classic in every single way. Can't go wrong. Through to like the Tag and Bink series. Yeah. Um, so. I bring all that up because yeah. I wanted to go through some, not all, of the history of Marvel Star Wars comics because the original Star Wars number one came out April 12th, 1977. That is the, at least that is like the official date, mm. probably around that time. So ahead of mm. the movie, which I think is really fascinating. That is Potentially fascinating. people had that issue before the movie was out. Yeah. I would love to know the history behind that if if that is indeed the the date because that's the like it expanded to other media you know potentially even before like the explosion is interesting well the film was so revolutionary with the special effects aspect like can you imagine reading that and being like how are people going to do this in yeah. a movie no way yeah yeah i think i read somewhere that they opened in a hundred theaters and it was mm. just so big that they had to keep expanding 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 and it yeah. was in theaters for like a year. That's one of my favorite things to do is to talk to people I know or people that know people that I know, anyone that I can talk to about seeing Star Wars in 1977 when it came out. Like I've asked my like grandparents and I had a, a Latin teacher who would like lord that over us in, in, in high school. We'd be like, 
I saw Star Wars, the original Star Wars in theater, get on my level. You will never be able to. <laughs> like, no matter what you do, you can't beat that. Uh, yeah, that's something I'd love to to think about and, and talk about. Well, this first issue was written by Roy Thomas, art by Howard Chaikin. The series ran for 107 issues, all of which you can read on Marvel Unlimited. And we actually have issue number 108 coming out May 29th. 2019 matt rosenberg is going to be uh the one writing that but it's also going to have uh, who he's a huge star wars fan he's like he's going to be writing that and there's going to be new and classic creators joining him for it it's uh that was gonna be really cool have you done any pieces on that um not yet i uh, other than like tweeting matt about it a ton because i'm so excited he's writing it. it's it's so it's so cool to see new writers like kind of join the star wars comics club and uh so it's awesome to see matt obviously one of my favorites and what i'm what i'm curious about is like one if there was letters pages i don't recall towards the end of that run of those star wars books like you know in the 100s because something that matt did which was so much fun for tales of suspense which i think actually recently came up online again was because tales of suspense um, which picked up with a, a five-issue limited series that Matt wrote last year. Did he start with issue 100? Yep. Yeah. Uh, he answered letters that were written 30 years prior or whatever it was with issue 99 to yeah. issue. And, and, and it was so fun. So I'm curious if uh, there were letters from this and if something like that could be possible. You going to write a letter so that you can be part of the Star Wars canon? Oh, man. I, I wish. I've 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 entered the Marvel universe with Marcus Centauri, Planet. Beta Ray Bill lived there for a while. Cosmic Coast Rider visited there. Excited to see what else happens there. But, you know, I gotta get down and talk to Mark and Tom. Hey guys. Make me a Star Wars. <laughs> you got a planet. <laughs> Uh, so I wanted to ask you guys about your favorite Star Wars comics. I know I have some particular favorites, but do you have any that, that come to mind? Ooh, that's tough. I'll start off because yeah. um, you mentioned it earlier, Tag and Bink Come on. by Kevin Rubio and Lucas Marignan, uh, which is really funny. It is basically the Rosencrantz and Guildenstern of the Star <laughs> Wars universe, and it's terrific. There's a, We reprinted that you know, within the last like two years. Really, really good stuff. Yeah. I love that. Um, there's so many that I love, I, I, that I love reading like that are out right now. I love Dr. Aphra. Uh, I think it's a, a great series. But uh, one of the ones that immediately comes to mind when I think about this, and it's on this list that, that I worked with Lorraine on, is, um, is Darth Vader, Kieran Gillen's Darth Vader run, which introduced Dr. Aphra along the way, and uh, I think just totally captures the spirit of, of that character, and it's really, really cool, edgy kind of different stuff going on. I also adored Charles Soule's uh, run after that on Darth Vader, but, uh, but yeah, that's one that comes to mind for me. I'm just going to give some love to Lando because... I want to hear Lando's voice all day, every day. <laughs> also, I cannot remember the name of it right now, but it was the comic that came out before that was like the sort of spanning the time between the prequels and the nowquels. <laughs> and it was just very exciting to read because it was technically part of the canon. And I was just like, I'm looking for spoilers. Yeah, I, yeah, I, know. I know that. You know what? Now I know the book you're talking about, you, but I can't remember. I can't, I can't remember what it's called. While you think about that one, I brought this up. I brought this up to Tucker. Uh, it is one that I remember picking up back in the 90s. It is, uh, we reprinted it. Dark Horse actually printed this in classic Star Wars Devil Worlds, which uh, features Alan Moore's 
UK Star Wars stuff. These were originally printed in the early 80s in Marvel UK's Star Wars The Empire Strikes Back black and white magazine. And it's uh, there's like seven stories. I think five of them are Allen's across two issues. It is bizarre, weird, <laughs> like mostly like mystical stuff. Right. It, it focuses really on space magic and, and weird creatures and there's a demon and there's a whole planet of droids that are like religious pacifists who have melded into the planet that when stormtroopers come to take over and mine the planet, the planet rises up and sucks down an entire star destroyer wow. and it's just like, peace be with you. And it's like <laughs> peace be super with you. weird, creepy, cool stuff. Those are also available on Marvel Unlimited. I highly, highly suggest you read those. That sounds so awesome. Yeah. The weird Star Wars is like Weird Star Wars yeah. is my jam. Yeah, come on. There's lots of great stuff. You mentioned Vader, those books. Star Wars that Jason Aaron kicked off. Uh, and then Kieran Gillen mm-hmm. picked up. And now we're gonna see Greg Pak handle that. Like that book has been so consistently great. Yeah, it's it's excellent. I mean, I remember, you know, just when it came out and just being so excited to get my hands on it. And, it's Jason Aaron. Like, yeah. what he can write in any universe. He can write anything. It's going to be incredible, and it really is. I believe it's called Star Wars Shattered Empire. Right. Shattered Empire. That's, that's what I said. Oh, boy. <laughs> anyway, that's uh, a little bit of Star Wars talk for y'all. Uh, I, think, I think we can let you go, Tucker. Wow. We can go back to work. Okay, bye. Oh, oh. but before you go, yeah. are you excited that there's going to be a land at a at a Disney park? Oh man. You going to drink the oh, blue man. milk? Man, am I excited. I I I don't know. I like Okay, one of All right, let me put it this way. Uh one of like truly Okay, when the Force Awakens was I <laughs> keep going. Okay, my mom and my dad met each other. Okay. Um okay, no. Uh <laughs> In anticipation of The Force Awakens coming to theaters and, like, coming out, I knew, like, oh, this is going to be such a massive moment for me, this movie. Okay, when Being in the theater and watching those events unfold, specifically, I can pinpoint it, specifically the moment when Luke Skywalker reveals himself at the end of the movie, pulls back his hood. There he is. There's our hero. He blew up the Death Star. That's him. I pinpoint that, literally that moment, sitting in the theater, seeing that for the first time, as one of the greatest moments of my life. One million percent, not exaggerating. I was weeping, like loudly, <laughs> like heard myself and had to quiet myself down. Okay, so I don't even want to imagine what it's going to be like just being, actually being there and being, walking around and, and seeing all this stuff and there's the Falcon and is everything. It's going to be crazy. So, yeah. I'm excited for you to go there. <laughs> I want a video crew to follow you. I have to say, I saw Force Awakens the same day I saw Hamilton, and I've never wow. cried so much in a in one day. <laughs> like, I literally got done watching Hamilton, and I was like, I don't know what to do. Like, I had to put myself in a cab because I just could not function. Wow. That is a crazy one to I punch. love that. It was a good day. Yeah, it is a good day. And it was a good day to have you here, Tucker. All right, may the Force be with you. And also with you. Okay, yeah, Tucker was terrific, but now it is time for the interviews. We got two for you, both around the television program, Veep. We have showrunner David Mandel and actor Sam Richardson. Did you do anything with either of them for Earth's Mighty Show? Nope. 
great. It's an exclusive here on This Week in Marvel. But Sam Richardson was on Let's Play. Oh, nice. So he's a fun guy. Yeah, he is. I could talk to David in particular for hours because the dude loves classic comics. He's a huge collector. We didn't even get into the fact that he co-wrote a book about Star Wars concept art, which is fascinating. I have to say, it's always surprising to me how many comedy writers love comic books. But I think that comic books make you a better screenwriter because you're essentially doing storyboards for a film all the time. I would say comic books make you better at everything. I agree with you, Ryan. Great. Now, on to the interviews. David, good morning. How are you doing? Good morning. How are you? I am doing fantastic. Uh, so on This Week in Marvel, what we usually like to start with is, what is your Marvel origin story? How did you first get connected to our characters, stories, books? Was it a cartoon? Was it the actual comics? What was it for you? Um, I definitely have like early memories of those old Marvel like uh, cartoons, you know, Doc Bruce Banner, oh, Melted yeah. by Gamma. <laughs> so I definitely remember that. I certainly remember the Spider-Man cartoon, which I grew up here in New York City, was on Channel 5 in the morning. So I remember that. And then I remember going to like early like school book fairs, like at my, my school, and my mom buying me like the little paperback editions of the Stan Lee, Steve Ditko, Spider-Man stuff. It was like a little box set of those. So cool. And so that's the stuff I really remember in terms of like the exposure. And then I think I had origins and son of origins at some point so I kind of that and then I just started buying things on the stand I remember you know like you know the gateway drug is Spider-Man so it's first Spider-Man and I remember picking up early X-Men but what I was picking up what I didn't realize because I was a kid Mm -hmm. was I was buying X-Men reprints of the old like Kirby Chick Stone stuff Mm -hmm. and I didn't know it was reprints so I was reading X-Men going this is great and I think I was doing the same thing with Avengers I was reading like Roy Thomas John Buscema like uh, some say the world will end in fire (laughs) you know whatever but not knowing I was reading reprints and at some point I turned the page in one of those X-Men reprints and I saw this ad where it was like the old X-Men then on the other side was the new X-Men and it was like like the old X-Men you'll love the new X-Men still uncanny after all these years <laughs> and it kind of was like wait I, I get it and then I picked up my first issue of X-Men 138 so it was right after the death of Phoenix yeah. but it's Kitty joins the team and it's the funeral and they tell the whole story of the X-Men and I realized oh I've been reading this but this is here and I was I was hooked like especially on Claremont Byrne. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I I was gone. It was like my soap opera. Yeah. 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 This is so nerdy, but it was like I basically, you know, I picked up the first books where basically Kitty joined the team. So, of course, it's that weird thing of like, well, Kitty joined the team and I'm joining the team. You know, it was like that kind of thing. And it was just like, oh, those books are so good. And they hold up. They They really do. Hold up. Yeah. Yeah. Especially, you know, if you just look at it from an art perspective and how tight. Burn and oh. I think it was Austin. Yeah, and, I mean that oh, Austin man. sheen, the way he inked Burn, is so something. Oof. But the stories hold up. Someone gave me an idea, told me this about a year ago, which was that he was basically reading the Claremont X-Men run basically like out loud to his kids, like as a bedtime thing. And huh. I was just like, oh, I got to do that. I can see that yeah. too. Just the way that they talk and like yeah. the, oh man, that's so good. 
It's so much fun. I love comics. Yep. <laughs> uh, so I was at the Marvel Universe of Superheroes exhibit. In Seattle, the in Mopop. Seattle. Yes, yeah, the Mopop Museum. Museum, yeah. Museum of Pop Culture, so cool. And it featured a huge amount of original art, uh, which a whole bunch of it was yours. I was yeah. like, you know, you go through and you see whose collection it's from. It's like David Mendel, David Mendel, David Mendel. I was like, oh, this is cool. How did this all come together? One of the curators of the exhibit is a professor named Ben Saunders, who's up at Oregon, I believe. Oregon? I think it's Oregon. I'm gonna, he's, uh, that part I can't... British Ben? British Ben. I love Ben. Yes. Ben's awesome. Um, and he really takes a really scholarly, wonderfully scholarly approach to comics, yeah. which I find just fascinating. Yeah. And we met a couple of years ago when he did an exhibit up at his university, and I lent a couple of things. And so they approached me really early in this process about not just sort of donating, but also, well, not donating, lending, I guess I should, <laughs> lending, lending, um, but also to, you know, I, I got to sort of participate a little bit in the early days. Like I got to see some of the early versions of the exhibit and throw some ideas in and stuff like that. It was very fun to be sort of invited along to do that. And so it was just really enjoyable. And I love the opportunity to sort of, I guess I'll simply say to share my collection, to share my original art collection and to like, I guess, I don't know, proselytize a little bit and let people know that there is this stuff called original comic art and it's collectible and that it, you know, the, some of the stuff where people only maybe know the new movies or the, the you know, like the, the Netflix TV shows and you go, oh, see, this was taken literally right from the comics and here are those pages yeah. that, you know, basically the director was clearly looking at. I, I do enjoy sort of participating in those kinds of things. Yeah. yeah. How did you get started with your own collection? I guess the it was sort of one of those things where I've always been a collector. I have that sort of cursed gene kind of a thing. I, I feel you. Yeah. And so, you know, I had baseball cards. I had comic books, too. And to some extent, I, I guess I always felt like I was a couple of steps behind. Because, like, I, I remember as a kid, you know, we were talking about X-Men. I remember no matter how much money I had in my pocket... I could never afford giant size X-Men one. Like if I had $10, it was 20. And if I had 50, <laughs> it was 75. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it just, it was one of those things that always sort of escaped me. And I guess I was aware that, you know, even at that time, comics seemed like, 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 like really great, like, you know, mint copies of, you know, old issues seemed yeah. out of a realm. And it's, and, and there was also an element too of like, well, I have a copy, you have a copy, that guy has a copy. And at some point or another, I bumped into the, the original comic art. I, you know, I saw it at a convention. And it hit me for a number of reasons. Number one, I think probably on some level, I'm a terrible artist, but I wish I could draw. <laughs> so I love looking at right. stuff for people that can draw. And I loved seeing the pages because I loved seeing the process. I loved seeing editorial notes, notes from the writer, notes from the, yeah. the artist to the inker, whatever, you know, especially sometimes when it was like, no, no, it's got to be like this, you know, that you'd, you'd, you'd get like sort of this almost like making of sense mm -hmm. from just sometimes an individual page. So that really appealed to me. And then that collector gene kicked in, which was if I have the cover to whatever issue of X-Men you want to talk about, I have the only one. I have the hand-drawn cover. It is one of one. And there's something very appealing to that. And I will simply say when I did get into it, it was a area of collecting that had not progressed a lot. And so when I got into it, I guess, you know, not to make things about 
prices and numbers, it was a very reasonable collecting entry point sure. in a way that baseball cards and comic books had already sort of passed me by, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, I think the prices is, is a really, like, interesting part and, like, a, a crucial part of it for whoever wants to get into it. Because, you know, I only have a couple pieces. I bought, you know, a, a couple pieces here and there. But it's, like, the things that I would love to have are probably way past my price range, you know, right now. But still, I ogle them. I want them. I mm-hmm. them. Uh, what are some of the favorite things in your collection? Gosh, I mean, I have uh, – I went and found the cover to X-Men 138, my first issue of X-Men. I mean, that's, you know, it's for me, it's pure nostalgia. Yeah. I have the cover to, uh, I think it's X-Men Annual, I want to say it's six. Sometimes I forget the numbering, so forgive me. It's the one where Nightcrawler dies and they go into hell to sort of save him. Okay. And it, when I was in... Uh, uh, like second grade, I had my appendix out, and I was in Mount Sinai Hospital here in New York, and I read that comic in the <laughs> hospital. And that's you know for me, the, some of, so much of the comic art collecting is the nostalgia of remembering those moments, kind of a thing. And then I'm not gonna lie, a couple of years ago, I was lucky enough to buy the giant size X Men One cover, which is obviously one of the foundations of my collection, and it was just sort of this thing of like, God, I can remember not being able to buy this book. But now I have the yeah. cover, and that's on display. On display, yeah. yeah, yeah. I remember, like, I think I took too long, like, slowly looking at all the pieces, and I remember that X Men wall at the uh, in the exhibit because it's there's so many amazing pieces yeah. there. There's like Wolverine stuff. There's uh, one of Sinkevich's like promo pieces for New Mutants. Oh, that's on. mine too. Yeah. Dang it, David! <laughs> come on, man. Oh, and that is beautiful. Like just. If anyone ever no, gets a chance I mean, to see you a gotta, you, if you ever get to see this piece, because it's like I don't know what Bill was doing, but there's like circuit boards and wire glued to it, and it's like it's wild. Yeah, yeah. it is amazing. Uh, are there any like holy grails that you have yet to get that you really like want to? It's tough. I mean, you know, there's some there's vague categories. Like I'd love to find a great early like. Jack Kirby X-Men piece and I'm not that specific I'll know it when I see it but you know either a page that I remember or a great image that I remember that would be something that I don't know why I don't have it but I'd I'd love to get one Uh, I used to you know it's funny you know you sometimes you buy you sell you trade to get other things and somewhere along the way I, I I used to have, but no longer have Kirby Thor. That's also something I'd love to get, yeah. and uh, and I'm a Steve Ditko nut, so that's something I'll always I'll never say no to Steve Ditko yeah. stuff. Yeah, I, there's some because um, we've been doing all this stuff for the 80th anniversary. Uh-huh. I've been looking at I'm reading a lot of 50s stuff, and so looking at like the late 50s Ditko. Like you know, tales. The, yes, those all of, of those. Like, those books. I have. Are a, I have a couple of those, like like six page or like little complete yeah. stories, like little almost like oh, Twilight wow. Zone stories, and they're fantastic. But you know, for me, it's always like remembering like stories and issues. Mm-hmm. So, for example, like there's an issue. Um, it's X Men because a, a lot of X Men. Sure. I think it's X Men one fifty three, Kitty's Fairy Tale. Okay. Do you remember yeah, that one? Yeah. 
I'll buy any page I bump into from that. <laughs> yeah. And I have the Mignola version of the classic X-Men cover okay. of that. But somewhere out there is the Dave Cockrum cover to X-Men 153. And that would be very high on my dream list. Well, yeah. if you're out there, if yes, you have it. please write us. Hit us up. Yes. You can find me and I'll get the word to I'll, David. I'll uh, trade like <laughs> Veep autographs, whatever you need. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one of the, the piece that I, I, I was a big uh, Executioner song fan. Uh-huh. So on that wall as well was was one of the covers for the Executioner song crossover. I think I would fit into your like that mindset of like the things that mean something. To yeah, me I mean, like I said, to me, don't get me wrong. I have things in my collection that I admire just the art where I go, this is beautiful. But my philosophy has always been, I would rather have. I guess I'll simply say, and by the way, everything is in uh, is personal opinion. But I'd rather have quote unquote an ugly cover by a no-name artist from a story I love and remember than the most beautiful piece of yeah. art by the finest artist there is from a story that's terrible. You <laughs> yes. know what I mean? 100%. Yeah, that mean, is meaningless to me. Yeah. yeah. If you give me a, a cover from like the 90s What If series like that I read over and over again, yes, I take that over. Take that over anything, even anything. if that guy's left comic books. Yeah, 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 and a lot of them have yeah. at this point. Um, so Veep Season 7 kicks off this spring on HBO. It starts literally a Sunday the 31st yeah so and obviously on hbo go and all that stuff everywhere too. Yeah. uh what's in store for selena and the team because this is the final season right this is the final season which is a little sad but sure. in a good way she is running for president again she had of course as selena often does made her peace with not being president started to get on with her life and then basically threw it all in the garbage to run again <laughs> and this time among other things she's running against jonah so uh it's Pretty good, if I say so myself. Like, Joda's arc, too, is fascinating. Like, watching where he started. Well, it's very much, I mean, even maybe more so than her, it's sort of a very, you know, it's a real almost comment on modern politics, which is he sort of fell, you know, butt first (laughs) into a congressional position that was sort of pointless and then made a reputation for himself by screaming the loudest about nonsensical issues, and now he's running for president. So... You know, huh. make your own judgments, but uh, there you go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Julia Louise Dreyfus, amazing, incredible performer. She also, you know, a survivor, battler, fighter. Is she like a real life superhero? Uh, I mean, she's she's amazing because you know, how do I explain this? On a given day where we're shooting, and by the way, everybody works hard. So I'm, this is not, yeah, you know, it's For one sure. of those things. And, yeah, uh, yeah. But you know. We'll do the, you know these incredibly long days, and she'll be in every scene. And then at some point or another, I realize she's been in every scene all day. We're talking about scenes, and she and I are talking about not just her acting, but also we're often talking about everything we're doing because she's you know an, a, a, an exec producer on the show, and she's you know my partner on this thing. And then I'll remember, wow, even though we got here at seven a.m. to start. She arrived at 4.30 to, like, make up, and she wears a wig for Selena and all of this stuff. And you do start to go, wow. Like, how? How? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. In yeah. a just incredible way. Yeah. And, and still kill it every scene. You know, so it's good. funny. Uh, Gary Cole, who plays uh-huh. uh, Kent, there's this very cool uh, article in Entertainment Weekly, a uh, cover story on the final season. And yeah. he gave this quote that I has really stuck with me, which he sort of said, 
you know, that most actors have like five tools in their bag out of the 10 tools that an actor could have. And she's got 15. <laughs> and I really kind of, that has stuck with me as a quote. I Heck know. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. So I, obviously you're like a creator, you're a writer, you're a showrunner and producer, you know, you've also directed a number of episodes of Veep, of Curb Your yep. Enthusiasm. Uh, I was talking- The teen comedy Euro trip. Euro trip, <laughs> yes. Uh, I, was, I was thinking more specifically TV because I was yeah, talking sure. with um, one of our Marvel television showrunners who he's jumping into the director's chair for the first time sure. soon. And he said one of the main reasons he was doing it was because he wanted to better understand the way to talk with his directors as a showrunner, as a writer. Oh, that's and so his mindset was first, like, mainly to be like, well, I need to understand what they go through sure. so that I can better work with them and sure. have a better relationship well, and all that, which I thought sense. was really yeah. fascinating. What draws you to actually directing? I guess originally, and, you know, it's going to sound somewhat petty, but it, it's true. <laughs> The, the original desire just came out of from, I'll simply say, while well, I've had the opportunity to work with some wonderful directors, it came out of working with some really terrible directors who basically killed the joke and just sort of sitting there going, I don't understand. Well, this isn't that hard. And so I always take my own directing with a certain grain of salt, which is to say, I'm not Orson Welles. I'm not going to redefine some kind of a shot. My camera's never going to circle anyone and go in a car window and come out the back car window and, you know, Spielberg yeah. it up or whatever. But I know what the joke is and I know how to capture a joke on film. And so initially for me, that was it. It was simply, I'm sick of having my stuff m messed up. I just want to do it myself. As the years have gone by and I've done it more, I guess what I truly love about it is, especially in comedy, and I think perhaps this is a little less so on the sort of probably like Marvel superhero TV side, where I do think things like action and the shots are obviously very important and it's not what I do. Right. You know what I mean? Sure. But for us, where we're not, again, you know, uh, uh, you know, if I'm doing a special shot, maybe it's something where, you know, just in terms of like something going on in the background or how the camera's going to move between two people and when. But for the most part, what I love about it is the directing is very much an extension of the comedy in terms of pace. Um, performance of lines like you know like 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 how a line is done or how a joke is performed and so when i'm doing that and i'm basically the writer and the director it's the purest form of you know i can just go in there and really get it you know how else can you say this the way i would like yeah. to get it yeah yeah i mean you in the, the yeah. writer's room you You've done. And it's you've my favorite moment is you know when I get to be on the you know and when I get to sort of basically be out there with the actors yeah. and sort of muck around with them. I do enjoy that a lot. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure that's got to be fun. I'm fascinated by the Saturday Night Live process sure. too. And you were process there. is a very generous word, at least back <laughs> when I was there. Yeah. Well, so I, I want to get you were there during a fun time with like Phil Hartman, Mike Myers, Chris Farley, Adam Sandler, like so many amazing performers, and the writing team was like I remember watching and it was firing on so many awesome cylinders from the viewer perspective. What was the vibe and the process like there, or lack um, of process? I was there for three years, and it was an interesting three years, because I think the beginning of the three years was the election year. So uh, we, we, we yes. basically, my first year was the 92, basically, the elections. And so that was Dana Carvey doing, you know, Ross Perot and Bush. So he was playing both parts, and Phil playing Clinton, and, you know, 
I loved writing like the, some of the political stuff, obviously, as yeah, it turned out with Veep and whatever. I remember that year, one of my favorite things I ever wrote, or I guess I should say co-wrote, uh, Al Franken and I wrote um, Clinton jogging into McDonald's. Like, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, up yes, and explaining the Somali so warlords, whatever. Um, and it was a blast and a half. Um, and then Dana laughed and then Phil laughed. And by the end, it was not. The, by my third year, it was not quite as yeah. fun, and that's how it was. But it was, it's an incredible process. When I look back, you know, people often ask me, like, like how do you become a showrunner? What is a showrunner? What is a showrunner? You know, and the honest answer is, I learned so much of it at Saturday Night Live because they really kind of just throw you into the deep end with very little preparation. <laughs> and so the next thing you know, you're like basically you've you know you just show up there, and the next thing you know, you're following a sketch and talking to the director and talking to the wardrobe department, which are a lot of things that writers in L.A., if you're just working in a room, you don't do. But at SNL, you're almost like the mini producer of your own piece. And it was exhausting. And the three years felt like, you know, like dog years. And I was gray by the time I left. But it was amazing. So it was sort of awful and amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that, that it sounds like a, a fun experience to have for a short period of time. Yes, yes. Um, so I was also thinking, how does a weekly live sketch show such as SNL compare to like this prestige comedy satire political sitcom like Veep? You know, from a writing, production, planning, routines type of um, well i mean it's different obviously in the sense of obviously with something like saturday night live you are dealing you know like just let's talk about politics yeah. you know on a on a given week you know and obviously i'm not there now but on a given week you are dealing with in a perfect world the big event of the week and in a doubly perfect world maybe even the big event of thursday or friday so that maybe the other shows haven't already yeah. done jokes about it and so you're very immediate in that sense and in some ways with Veep, even though we're doing politics, we're in this sort of somewhat alternate reality, kind of like, a, you know, an Earth Veep kind of a thing where the last president we ever mention is Reagan. And then after that, it's sort of unclear. Do you know what sure. I mean? Yeah. And so what we're trying to do is be influenced by what's going on in any given week, but also then trying to get a more bigger view of like, well, what does it all mean about politics and kind of do politics that way, mm -hmm. as opposed to SNL, which I think rightly trades much more in, oh my God, that guy said that that week. And yeah. we sort of can't do that. In terms of the production and stuff, you know, it's just very different, obviously, I guess in terms of, you know, for for Veep, we spend the first really two months of the season really mapping out the episodes, mapping out the whole season. I like to go into a season basically telling my writers, this is where we're starting, and this is what I think is the final scene of the season. And then we kind of fill it all in and really kind of go, here are the episodes, here's the season, which is what will then launch us in some ways into the next season. Sure. And filling that all in and then very much then starting to like outline individual episodes and then write them. Um, and obviously with SNL, it's almost like each week is a season yeah. and then you throw it all away and start <laughs> over. So it's very different ways of sort of thinking. Yeah. There's a lot more adrenaline in the moment at SNL, but by the time you get to shooting of an episode of Veep, that's when the adrenaline kicks in, but it is a slower process. Yeah. 
So cool. I just oh, yeah, fascinated sure. by these processes. It's great stuff. Last thing I want to talk about is, yeah. uh, you know, you've written and produced on Seinfeld, Career Enthusiasm, Clerks Animated Show, some really <laughs> fun stuff. Were you able to sneak any Marvel jokes or references into these productions? I have one really great story, which is back in the Seinfeld days, you know, we used to start the show often enough with, especially when Jerry, when, when Larry left the show, Jerry stopped doing the stand-up sections. So it was a lot more, uh, we would kind of often start the show with like him and George, like in a coffee shop, just doing a conversation, sometimes as a cold opening mm-hmm. in lieu of the stand-up. And we did one a million years ago. This probably would have been, probably the, it would have been the 96, 97 season. And I did one that I wrote, which was them talking about whether Iron Man wears anything under <laughs> under the armor. And what was really cool at the time was um, we got a call from Marvel from Stan Lee's office. And I ended up getting to meet Stan, like I think at like a San Diego Comic-Con and whatever. And then I think it was Kurt Busick was relaunching Iron Man. It was right after yeah. Heroes Reborn. So it was Kurt Busick and Sean Chen. Yeah. And they stuck, he stuck a little kind of like, there's a little line of dialogue about like, uh, call Jerry Seinfeld and tell him I, I wear boxers under there or something like that, whatever. And I was just like, okay, that's good. I got to meet Stan Lee and I got to get a little reference in there. So that was, that was pretty good. Super sweet. Yeah. Um, we have a, you know, it's, I don't know, I'm not, not sure if anything ever quite made it, but, uh, we, you know, in, on Veep with the characters of, uh, Richard Splett and Jonah, they are very much like they'll talk comics sometimes and we'll go off on some funny tangents. And so they'll often be like they'll get into a very sort of like long sort of digression and it'll be like Harry Potter or Marvel or whatnot. And I'm not sure anything ever quite made it Marvel wise. Sure. But, but we that's our they're, they're our guys for that on the show. That's yeah. great. David, thanks so much for being oh, here. Oh, God, this is great. Thank you so much. Watch Veep. <laughs> on HBO and HBO Go, HBO Now, all the HBOs. So excited to have Sam Richardson with us here in the creative space. How you doing? I'm so good. I'm so glad. So, Sam, you're on the show, Veep. We're going to get to that in a second. But I got to know, what is your Marvel origin story? How did you first get connected to our characters, our stories, whatever it was? Some people tell me it's like I got bedsheets before I even knew who Spider-Man was or I read a comic. I watched a cartoon. Honestly, remember the, uh, I think it was the 70s Captain America movie? Oh, I used to watch that all the time when I was really? like five and six. Yeah, with like the dirt bike and the and, and the, the shield helmet. and the helmet. Oh yeah, and I was like, I love Captain America, and then like got super into into, into comics and action figures through that. Then like X Men came out in the nineties, the, like the, the, the Fox X Men, and just all the way off yeah. to the races. That's so. Uh. I've actually never heard someone be like, yeah, my first introduction was the Captain America movies. <laughs> that was mine. That's wild. That was mine. Yeah, and it like yeah. really paints a weird picture for you as you like get older. You're like, oh, that's not what Captain oh, America is at all. certainly is not. <laughs> that certainly is not. Do you remember what comics you were reading back in the day? Well, I remember they, they had the, the, the Fox like uh, yeah. comics of like what was happening the in, series. in the, yeah, and, and the really animated good. series. They, yeah, they were great. I really loved them. I mean, I was also I was also like in in DC comics. So what Marvel? <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. 
That's fine. Let it's me go fine. back. Everybody's got everybody's <laughs> got to have a little, you know, variety in their yeah, diet. Yeah, I say like I I went there, but then you know when you like it's like an ex-wife. You st- you start there and you're like you learn about yourself and you're like, "No, that's not who I am." <laughs> that ain't that's me. That's a great save. Thank you. Uh, I'm good at them. You have an improv background. Yes. Uh, Second City, right? Second City. Uh, yeah. Does that help or hinder on a, a scripted show such as V? It helps because, like, with improv, the main skill is to listen and to listen and respond. But in acting also, that should be something that's present always is, like, listening intently. Like, because, like, in a scene, if you're not listening, then you it's bad acting because, like, you're like, what's my line? What's my line? What's my line? <laughs> yes. No, I agree. Versus, like, what are they saying? No, I don't believe that, <laughs> which is some of the best acting I've ever done just now. Yeah, that was so. – I was in the moment. I was moved. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Second City has uh, helped me tremendously. On Veep, your character, Richard, he has two doctorates. I mean, there's a scene yes. where he's like, yes, I also, uh, my backup is being a vet. <laughs> yeah. I was like, that was great. Uh, he's a member of a secret society uh-huh. uh, and has has a very religious upbringing. So I was like, yes. thinking about this character, he's also Selena's chief of staff. I, he was uh, at a, at a point. last season. And then like he just like is a campaign aide mm-hmm. for Selena. And then top of this season for both Selena and Jonah. Oh, oh, that's not a, that's not awkward. <laughs> that's not awkward at all. <laughs> Just trying to to be two people at once. Sure. Which leads itself to superheroes. Which gets to my question: <laughs> If Richard could choose a superpower, what do you think it would be? If him specifically. Him specifically. We he already has super empathy. It'd probably be like a multiple man kind of thing. He'd be as many people as he could. <laughs> That'd be pretty good. I think so. Yeah, I mean, he has a lot of do- a lot of jobs, a lot of duties, <laughs> a lot of stuff to do. Especially in this season, because if he could be two people, he would. It'd be helpful. Yeah. So, showrunner David Mandel, he was in here recently. Big comics fan, big yeah. collector of original art. Do you have anything that you collect? I collect Funko dolls. I, I collect uh, F- Funko figures. Sorry, I'm I'm my mom. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what? So. Uh, have you been to their headquarters? I have not. Dude, but it's you know, wild. I, oh, I want to go so bad. I want to go so bad. You know, I made a, a Richard Splett Funko. Oh. So I'm a Funko. Then you got to go. You got to take a picture. Yeah. They have, like, we went with for their opening. So they have rooms carved out for different brands. So they have a Marvel room, uh. a Star Wars room. They have uh, that unfortunate company you mentioned. They have a room. Oh, yeah. Uh, they have a whole, like, anime room. Oh, my God. It's the coolest. It's in Washington. Everton? Washington? Everton, Washington? I think so. I'll just walk around Washington until sure. I find it. Uh, excuse me, Funko. Sir, Funko, please. Like, oh, Funko, about <laughs> uh, 50 clicks up the R. That's how they speak in Washington, I think. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, what what sure Funkos did. have you collected? I've got like a Luffy. I've got an All Might. Uh-huh. Sanji, the, Sanji, Blackfoot Sanji. Yeah. Uh, so, so, he's my favorite character. Yeah. Oh, he's great. Yeah. <laughs> Funimation should be paying for this episode. Yeah, I know. Sorry. Seriously. Sorry. Anyway, uh, <laughs> anyway Sam, you were on a show called Detroiters. You're a creator of the show Detroiters, yep. and you are from Detroit. So mm-hmm. I was thinking we play a little true or false game about Marvel's Detroit. Gladly. Let's do this. I'll give you a thing. You tell me if you think it's true or false, and I'll let you know the answer. Okay. You ultimate ready? test. Okay. Yeah. We have a character named Detroit Steel. True or false? Is it False. It's true. It's true. We have a character named Detroit Steel who first appeared in Invincible Iron Man number 25 in April 2010. He's giant armored Iron Man adversary. Oh, uh, so man. cool. Yeah. How did I miss this? I don't know. They should have sent it directly to my house. That's your fault, guys. It is. That's your fault. 
100%. Yeah. Uh, okay. True or false? The X-Men were killed in Detroit. False. Correct. They were seemingly killed in Dallas. In Dallas. Of course. Yes. True or false? Tony Stark has a factory in Detroit. Uh, true. Correct. Yeah. He does. True or false? We have a team called the Great Lakes Avengers, and they have operated out of Detroit. True? It is. I'm trying to think of if I know who's... You've probably read them. You probably yeah. like, Your history goes back enough where you probably came across them at one point. Yeah. And they actually operated out of Tony's factory in Detroit for a little while. And some of the characters on the team, which is a tremendous team, we have <laughs> Mr. Immortal... We have Dinosaur. Uh, she is a dinosaur. Uh, Big Bertha. Yeah. Flat Man, who is two-dimensional. Very two-dimensional. Flat. Doorman, who he's Just like, like a, he's, a, he's a bellhop, essentially. Uh, kind of. And Squirrel Girl, who is one of our oh, most famous characters. Yeah, Squirrel Girl was yeah. blown up so much. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so that's the GLA. Okay, true or false? Detroit was part of the formation of the Avengers. Is that true? It's true. So in Avengers number one, the first time the team comes together, Hulk is like bouncing around the country and he jumps into Detroit into an auto factory and Iron Man has to go and like stop him and like calm him down and they start fighting and they go through some stuff and eventually Loki shows up and he's like, hi, you all suck. I'm the bad guy. (laughs) And they all like team up and come together to stop Loki. But that right there happens in Detroit. Right there in the D. Yes. Exciting. Okay. So we have a character named D-Man. True or false? The D in his name stands for Detroit. Demon. Does the D stand for no, Detroit? No, it does not stand for Correct. Detroit. Correct. The D stands for demolition. Demolition. And he's so cool. He's a wrestler. He's awesome. I love D-Man. All right. Finally, <laughs> last one. Has the team X-Factor ever operated out of the city of Detroit? False. True. They, and you mentioned multiple men, and he was actually leading the team. They were doing a lot of investigating at this time, but this is after your, like, main reading time. Oh, so okay. I totally understand okay. it. They actually left Mutant Town for Detroit, a better life there, and this was right during the Secret Invasion time period when the Skrulls came uh-huh. in, and then it was all wonky for them. I see. Yeah. I think you did great, though. Thank As you. It's just a pure guessing game. You did great. Thank you. I got, yeah. I, I, I got a bone up on my Detroit Marvel world. But I, I just thought it was cool. As I was putting this together, I was like, it's really neat to have those specific things for like different cities. Yeah. You know, and you being a big Detroit guy, I, awesome. I, I feel honored. <laughs> okay. Sam, what is in store for the final season of Veep? Well, I'll, I'll say, like, if anybody who watches the show knows that we certainly don't shy away from pretty uh, risque stuff. We hit it even harder this last season. This is the final season, so yeah. it's, it's fully just all hands on deck, all stuff to the wall. <laughs> all stuff to the wall. All stuff to the wall. Awesome. Uh, watch the final season of Veep on HBO and check Sam out in Champagne Ill on YouTube. Anything else uh, that we, we you can talk about yet? Oh, yeah, nothing I can talk about yet. Okay. Always <laughs> always things in the hopper. Yeah, you know. Awesome. Thank you to our Veep friends for being here on This Week in Marvel. You can see videos with both David and Sam with This Week in Marvel as well as Let's Play with Sam. Good stuff. But now it is time for community. As we get into that, Lorraine just brought up that we should have our question of the week be about the Star Wars. Yeah, you guys tell us what your favorite Star Wars comic is and why. And why. 
You can tweet us using hashtag This Week in Marvel, email them to twimpodcast at marvel.com, or send a message to our Facebook page at facebook.com slash This Week in Marvel. Yeah, say it to our Facebook. <laughs> uh, all right, first up on the community is our friend, that one nerd, Ron. Hi, Ron. He says, listen to the Twim Marvel podcast episode 391 over the weekend. Must admit that Tamara Krinsky is just so good at doing interviews with the cast and crew of Marvel Studios Avengers Endgame. She also interviewed Kevin Feige and his responses just gave me all the feels. Tamara's the best. She is. She's flipping rad. Yeah. Next up, we have Jiggy Cruz, who said, Me and my brother always fought as kids, but it was Marvel Comics that brought us together. Oh, true story. We always see Marvel movies together on the first day as a silent pact. Iron Man to Endgame and beyond with my little bro till the end of the line. Oh, making families stronger together. All right, and next up we have Robert at Captain Rogers 44. I will simply say this of Avengers Endgame. We waited 11 years for this movie. I would have gladly waited 100 in hopes of something one-tenth as good. Heck, yeah. I mean, that movie was 100, the little 100 emoji. It is as all the reviewers called it, thebomb.com. Yeah. Very good. All right. So we had an email into uh, our twin podcast at marvel.com email from our pal Jason in Hawaii. And he says, aloha from Hawaii. One, kudos for the live stream coverage. I want to thank everyone who worked on covering the world premiere of Marvel Studios Avengers Endgame. You guys did an awesome job. The premiere felt like it was a party where everyone was having fun. And he said, Ryan, you, sir, looked sharp in a suit and tie. What about my suit and tie? Yeah. You look like trash. Yeah, gee whiz. No, you look great. We both look fabulous. Yes, we did. Uh, Two, he says, shout outs to comic shops. In honor of Free Comic Book Day on Saturday, May the 4th, may I ask if you guys can do some shout outs to some awesome comic shops. On Oahu, he says, Dragon's Lair, whose owners are Lucas and Randy. Westside Comics and Games, the owner is Julius. On Maui, Maui's Comics and Collectibles, which is owned by Alika. And in Okanomawik, Wisconsin is Kawabanga Comics. Owners are Eric and James. He says, mahalo for doing this. Please continue to keep up the great work. And so this sparked me to say, hey, why don't we give more shout outs to more comic shops? Yeah. Do you have a comic shop that you go to? Um, I live in Midtown now, so I go to Midtown Comics. But I used to go to Bergen Comics all the time in Brooklyn, which yeah. was my favesies. I also sometimes go to Midtown, but I like Best Comics and Superhero Comics on Long Island. They're both in New Hyde Park and Floral Park, right on the border of Queens and Long Island. Those are great shops. Oh, I also love Golden Apple in L.A. Yeah, great Classic. Shop. Yes. Uh, so I put this tweet out there. Uh, so we got a bunch of great responses. We're not going to read all of them in full, but uh, we got a bunch from you guys. Juan Chango Wences shouts out Austin Books as his favorite LCS because they are welcoming and loving comic shop for Aww. everyone. Paul DePaola said that B&D Comics in Roanoke, Virginia has been rediscovered and it's been around for 30 years with a staff who is not only very nice, but also tries to give back when they can. Aww. So nice. Yeah. Meatball McFuzzy Pants. It's <laughs> a great name. Uh, says their pick was just simply called The Comic Shop in Oswego, New York, run by a woman with utter love for comics who ne- never fails to recommend something good. Simon Williams says that Red Pegasus Comics is his local comic book shop, and it has a great staff, and he also wants to give a shout-out to Zeus Comics. They've been working very hard to get all the comic shops in D- da- Dallas-Fort Worth. Oh, Dallas-Fort Worth area. 
to get them noticed despite a con going on the same day. So that's very nice. Yeah. And then Zeus Comics jumped in saying that they just wanted to represent themselves. Uh, they got tons of comics for a quarter and then they're going to have an after party. So they're doing it. Right. Nice. Yeah. Thanks for all those shops. Uh, and then your boy, Simon Williams, dropped in a bunch of tweets. Uh, he really liked my Galactus impression, which is why I wanted to include this. Because me Galactus loved Team Planet. Oh, is that, that good? got is that a little yoda at the end, but it's appropriate for May the 4th. Yeah. Maybe he swallowed Dagobah and he's got a little Yoda in him. All right, man. (laughs) Poor Yoda. Yeah, whatever. He's just a ghost now. Anyway. Yeah, that's true. uh, Simon had a lot of feels about Marvel Studios Avengers Endgame. He wanted to eat cheeseburgers. uh, And there's so much he wants to say, but he wants to avoid spoilers. But he was really happy. It was so funny. I I agree. And honestly, the, one of the things that is killing me about this is there are a couple of moments that are like such great shout outs to the comics. And I am not allowed to talk about them publicly. And it's hurting me. Yeah. But I've pulled the panels. Yeah. <laughs> so get at me. Yeah. Once we're past the spoiler territory, we'll get into it. There's yeah. some great moments. Uh, that about wraps it up. Uh, one thing I wanted to make sure we touched upon, Twim URC for the 1980s is coming up really soon. CB Sabolsky and I talked about it. So we're going to pull a couple of different X-Men issues from the 80s with different artists. Please join us. X-Men in the 80s is fabulous. It's really, I feel like, where it starts just going bucket nuts and it's dope. Yeah, it's really good. I'm very excited for that. Uh, And so much more. We're busy. We got to go. Yeah, we got to go right now. So we'll see you next week. I'm Ryan. I'm Lorraine. What what were you going to say? I was going to say this is Marvel. I was going to skip our names. (laughs) I'm Ryan. I'm Lorraine. And this is Marvel. Your universe.